Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. As always, thank you very much for joining us and being part of our wonderful HR on the Offensive community. Today's podcast is a learning and development L&D focused one, and I'm going to bring our guest in in a minute. But as always, I love to have a partner in crime with these podcasts. And that partner in crime today is Mr. Chris Horton. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing really well, Chris Howard. How are you? I'm all right, except at the time of recording, I've just had a WhatsApp from my dad, who's in Portugal, with a sign set with a of a sign saying 32 degrees and saying "Wish you were here." And I'm looking mm-hmm. outside; it's a horrible rain. So I can assure you, he got a fair few expletives from me. But nobody wants to listen to me rabbit on about what my parents are doing on holiday in Portugal. <laughs> we are here to talk about a survey which has very, very recently just been released. It's called the Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey. It's a, a long-standing and running survey, and it's run by uh, Donald H. Taylor, and he's our guest today. So, Donald, welcome to the show. Great to be here. I think your introduction's quite apposite because you're talking about international things, different views of the world, in which case different views of the weather from Portugal and the UK. We're talking about different views of learning the world over. Good stuff. We are we are indeed. We are indeed. So what we want to do is I'm sure there'll be many of our listeners that will have read the survey, downloaded the survey before. So perhaps for those people, uh, this is nothing new, but for the, those maybe one or two that haven't, can you just give us a bit of an overview? Actually, let's do a bit of an overview on yourself and your background yeah. and then the survey itself, if that's all right. Sure. So I'm Don Taylor and I've been in the learning and development field and the learning and technologies space really since the beginning of the 1980s when I was a computer programmer and then a trainer. And I've chaired the Learning Technologies Conference since the year 2000. I chaired the Learning and Performance Institute for 10 years. I am currently also involved with startups through a VC fund, Emerge Education. But I've done pretty much every role you can do in learning and development. And my focus now is on trying to help people develop individually and to develop our profession to be better suited to the 21st century. That's me. And would you like to hear about the survey as well? Yes, please. The survey has been going for 10 years and started quite small scale, grew quite rapidly. Each year, we add more and more people to the roster of people who are responding. It is a very broad, very shallow survey. We only ask three questions. The question which we've asked for 10 years is what will be hot in learning and development next year? More accurately, what will be hot in workplace learning and development next year? And we add two more questions. What's your greatest challenge for the coming year? And where do you work? And those are the three core questions for the survey. Oh, brilliant. I've been taking a look at a survey. I've looked at it over the last few days. Some really, really interesting stuff in there. Just to kick us off, I wouldn't mind you just giving me a bit of an overview as to some of the interesting things that have changed maybe from last year to this year, if that's all right. Key thing that changed is that AI, artificial intelligence, which was on our list, leapt up the table. Now, just to be clear, when we asked this question, what will be hot next year, we give people a choice of 15 things and the word other. So there's a choice of things to select and they can choose three of those things. Artificial intelligence followed the normal pattern of the 
options on the survey over the years. It rose up as it became more popular and then it started dying away. So last year it was at position number 12 and heading towards the bottom of the table. This year it just shot back up from 12th position up to second position, a leap of 4.5%. And that's the outstanding thing about the survey. There are other things as well, but I'm sure we'll deal with that in the course of the podcast. Don, do you think that AI has shot up primarily because of the focus in the media, because of the focus that people are using ChatGPT, that there's so much discussion, whether that's in education circles, whether that's in business, whether that's in people's personal lives? Absolutely, Chris. But the interesting thing is that AI was already rebounding slightly last year. Normally, when things start going down, they keep going down. But last year, it had gone down, and then it had the descent had, had flattened off and actually picked up slightly, microscopically, really. No question that the rise this year was driven by ChatGPT. That was launched 30th of November. The survey was launched 8th of December. So it's perfect timing to ride this whole storm of interest in it. What's really interesting, though, is that the distribution of votes for artificial intelligence is not as even as you would expect if it was a complete piece of hype. So two years ago, in 2021, we had reskilling and upskilling as an option. That leapt to the top of the table with 13%. It was number one in almost every territory throughout the world. And the votes were high and uniformly high. There were about 13% everywhere. That's not happened with AI. With AI, there has been a very patchy response. There are some reasons for that in individual countries. But it shows to me that it's not a completely unthinking response. That's one thing. But the other really interesting thing about the response is that you remember I ask people, where do you work? Workplace, vendor, freelancer, or education are the four main groups. Extraordinarily enough, the people who voted most for artificial intelligence, who thought it was going to be hot this year the most, was the education sector, 13.8%. And the people who voted the least were workplace learning and development with 6.9%. Now, of course, if you ran the survey today, it might be different from running it in December and January, but it's still a very marked difference. We don't normally have that big a difference between education and workplace L&D. Clearly, something was going on there, and you could spend a lot of time examining it, but I just want to point out that it's not the case that everybody is uniformly agreed about AI. Yeah, and, and I think that's I think that's really interesting. And to me, and without digging down and actually getting more data, it's probably difficult. But I wonder if there's lots of legal and ethical driven arguments or driven topics that relate to that. I think the interesting thing coming in third place was around skills based talent management. I know ourselves, you know, chatting with clients and and our contacts throughout business, as you know, skills are, are the the new black. So interested in your views on that and how that's changed over from previous surveys. Skills are super important now, and you can see that if number one is reskilling, upskilling, and number three is skills-based talent management, clearly skills are on people's minds. What's changed in the past two to three years is that, as I say, when I put reskilling, upskilling on the survey, that was on the back of a huge amount of interest generated since about the middle of 2019, but really fueled by a report in 2020 by the World Economic Forum, January 2020, the reskilling revolution. That got people's imagination. Everyone was writing about the need to reskill people post-automation, so in a new world of work, also post-COVID. That led to this uniform vote of 
13% plus where everyone was super excited about it. As I say, I think people are more discerning now. And looking at the survey's patchy results, looking at the text written about it, and also talking to people and hearing what people are saying, I think people now have a much more sensible view of skills. It's not some panacea that you're just going to jump on and say, we're going to reskill everybody. Increasingly, people are looking at ways of reskilling and upskilling in order to get a business case met. And largely, I think that's driven by better work by vendors explaining what's going on. But also, I think just a, a more mature view of how skills can be developed in the marketplace. And finally, by a tight labor market, if it's difficult to get hold of people, you definitely want to upskill them. And interestingly, if you look at Google Trends, whereas reskilling and upskilling were sort of walking in lockstep until some point in 2020, 2021, now upskilling is way ahead of reskilling in terms of a trend that people are, or in terms of search terms that people are using. So that suggests to me that upskilling is on people's minds, which again suggests that there's a labor market influence there. You can't get new people. We've got to get more from the people we've got. That's a really fantastic point. And interestingly enough, we ran an event a couple of weeks ago with heads or global heads of talent. And the whole event, the whole premise around it was around making more of the internal talent pools that you have. And so it's it only stands to reason that, as you're saying, that the focus is on this reskilling upskilling. I want to talk a little bit around, you talk about the return of data to dominate mm. the upper parts of the table in the report. So, And you talk about the links between the artificial intelligence in at number two, skills-based talent management in, in number three, and then learning analytics in number four. Can you just put a bit of colour on what you were talking about in the report there around this importance of data and how those three are linked? In 2020, I did the report and I was fascinated by the fact that the top five of the table seemed all to have some sort of data link between them. Learning analytics had risen from number three the previous year to number one. Artificial intelligence had dropped from two the previous year down to five, but it was still in the top. Uh, And there were the other topics in the in the top of the table seemed to all draw on data in some way. And certainly it was very different from the focus we'd had in the past, which was all about delivery of content. Suddenly there seemed to be a different, more mature, if you like, view of what was needed. And it was the ability to share data in a sensible way and use it in a sensible way to help people learn rather than focusing on delivery. This year, the same thing is is true. Those two are back in the top five. Learning analytics, five last year to four this year. It's a small increase. Artificial intelligence with that huge 4.5% leap from position 12 last year to position two this year. The skills-based talent management between them, up from six last year to three. The rise there is less dramatic because it wasn't already on its way down. It was a new option last year. But it's something people are taking a lot of attention to. So we have at the top of the table here, reskilling and upskilling can be done in a variety of different ways. But AI, skills-based talent management and learning analytics all rely on data to be used properly. And that, as I say, stands in marked contrast to what we've had in the past, this idea that learning is all about delivering, creating and delivering content to people. It doesn't mean, though, necessarily that learning and development knows how to do this. It could simply be they're very interested in it, but they're not actually able to realize their goals. It might be even worse that, well, it's just a bunch of fancy terms that they've heard and they're excited about. I don't think either of those two is true, looking at the 
marketplace. I think actually what's happening is people are keen to get this stuff done. But I do think there's a problem here. What happened between 2020 and 2023, we had a pandemic, we had a lockdown. And in that period, learning and development was very focused on delivering training. We just had to get it done. In that time, what fell down the table was all the data and the technical stuff we've just been talking about. What rose up was collaboration and coaching and mentoring, because I think the table was reflecting people's wish for more human contact in an era when people were being forced to be distant from each other. It's quite natural. But also what happened in those three years is that AI in particular moved forward enormously. So we've seen in the few months since ChatGPT was launched in November of last year that it has changed dramatically. There's been an arms race of AI tools coming out. Large language models themselves have evolved incredibly rapidly. Now, it's not true that for the past three years, everything's been evolving at that speed, but certainly it's been evolving fast. We just haven't seen it. So what AI could do in 2020, what it can do today are two very different things. But I kind of think that the learning and development mindset, because we were so stuck on delivery for the past three years, is still very much thinking about AI's what it was in 2020. Now we've seen chat GPT is exciting. We have a new delivery mechanism, a new way of generating text. But I don't think people are thinking about the bigger picture and the bigger repercussions, nor indeed the bigger picture about data and how that can be used with skills. Yeah, I just want to ask you a question on that. It's really interesting that L&D professionals have looked at data and how do we use data perhaps to interpret and to deliver ROI and value back to within our business? And can you just touch, because you talk in the report about the impact of budgets, particularly at the moment with the the market that we've got. So can you talk about that? And I wonder, is there a link in there? You've got L&D professionals thinking we need to be able to justify the spend that we've got here. Our budgets are under tight pressure. And so therefore, we need to get better at leveraging data to prove, look, we're doing a good job here. It's always dangerous to assume linkages or to assume what's going on in people's minds. But I kind of think you're right. I think that what happened with ChatGPT was that it it fueled an already existing interest in AI. It's worth noticing that the other things that rose up the table, learning analytics and skills-based talent management, also came up as well. Now, did they ride up on the coattails of AI, or were they going to go up anyway? We don't know. But certainly, there has been interest in a whole swathe of things around data. And if we look at the challenges that people have got, and I ask people, as I say, what are your challenges in learning and development this year? Well, the words that are used and the topics that are touched on more than last year are definitely budget, value, and impact. So those three terms are used in comments far more frequently this year than last year. This suggests to me that you're right, that there's a title labor market in some of the comments that people made, and there were 18,000 words of comments altogether. In some of the words that people made in responding to that question about the challenges this year, I found that people were talking about the macroeconomic situation. We're expecting budget cuts. We're expecting things to be tight. We need to be sharper about it. I found a limited number, but there were, there were comments which made that explicit link. And therefore, we've got to get better at showing value. So I think there is a link in some people's minds explicitly. I think generally, yeah, people are making that link. There's an opportunity there for vendors to help support people in that. And certainly, I think it's probably a better time than ever if you're an L&D professional to go out there and to find those linkages, because I think it's probably easier to show value now than it's ever been. 
Don, you touched on, you know, during the pandemic that people focused on, you know, things like coaching and mentoring and collaboration, and, and that became mm. a, a bit of a focus. You've talked about the general sort of downward trend that generally happens when a topic comes up. In the survey, there's a couple of things that seem to be holding their place. I'm interested what you think, why you think that is, and, you know, let's talk about what those specific items are. Thank you for allowing me to pull the rabbit out of the hat. What are the two options that have remained unchanged over the years? It is two called showing value and consulting more deeply with the business. I've been very wary about making too much about this because I only want to point something out if it's been a trend for a substantial number of years and I can really believe in it rather than just say, oh, it went from A to B over two years, therefore we can extrapolate in that direction. If we look back to 2016 and see what's happened with these two options, showing value and consulting more deeply with the business, over those years, they've stayed almost in the middle of the table. It's not quite true they've been completely flat. The first four years, they actually have a slightly downward trend. But since 2019, there's actually been a slight upward trend of about 1% in those two options. Certainly, they don't follow the normal pattern of an option starting high, finishing low. So what's going on here? I think what's happening is that there is a core of learning and development people who each year vote for the same thing. And I think there's that's a representative percentage across the overall group that we're sampling. In other words, I think that there's a group, but let's not say how big it is, but there's a group that is behind the idea of value and doesn't see it going away. And I hope, and the evidence seems to say, that group may be actually increasing in number each year. So that's what I hope it says, Chris. Well, let, I, I want to keep watching the data for a couple of years and see if I can really believe that's what's happening. I want to ask you a question about the new entry that you've that you've yes. got into this year. This is <laughs> this is interesting, and the reason why I'm finding it I'm finding it fascinating is I've heard pockets of people talking about the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And even last night, we ran an evening dinner last night and somebody said, do you know what? The meta, we were talking about productivity and the impact of AI and chat GPT. And, and somebody mentioned, well, you know, the metaverse hasn't even, you know, our organization's leveraging it. Is that going to be the next big thing? And so then when I read the report, your report and saw that, I thought, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to quiz Don on why <laughs> you decided to put the metaverse in. You also talk about how when you put in new entries into your list, quite often the average, I think it's, I think you say the average is, it comes in at about 7%, whereas this came in at 2.6%. So in my my head, I did the classic Chris Howard thing of put two and two together and made 700 and thought, oh, well, that's because this is just going to be a fad, isn't it? Discuss. We can't say necessarily it means it's going to be a fad, but we can say quite a few things about it. And thank you for reading the report in enough detail to pull those data points out. I hang my head in shame with the metaverse because normally I'm pretty good at picking things people are going to find exciting. And I like to get hold of them before they become exciting. I've looked at the Google trends and I've looked at the publishing of reports and documentation. I firmly believe that I put the metaverse in last year it would have gone very high because there was so much noise around it. But I chose skills-based talent management because I thought that probably had more longevity in it as an option. It was literally between those two. So I put Metaverse in this year. I took off curation, put Metaverse in. And I thought, let's wait and see. And what happened was, of course, there was a, it was called the Texodus, right? It was this mass series of technical layoffs of people in Meta, Google, in everybody who's doing stuff around, well, VR a bit, but actually mostly explicitly around the Metaverse. And so 
it really got hit by a downer. And that number, that number, 2.6, is I think one of the lowest numbers a new entry has ever had. Does it mean it's a fad, though? No, I think it just means it's too early to say. Fads are sustained by people talking about stuff and getting very excited about it. And that's what was happening with the Metaverse last year, and it's died away. Maybe it was a fad last year, now it's gone. The faddishness is gone, but it doesn't mean that it's gone completely. But I think the metaverse is such a very, very large project. I think it's easy to underestimate how much work it would be to get to work properly, that it is unlikely to be substantially altering our lives in the next two to three years in the way that other things absolutely are going to be. Now, I'm not talking about VR here. I think virtual reality absolutely has a part to play in a lot of particularly learning and development hard skills, which we know it can be used for. You can move this box from here to there, and here's how you do it. It can also be used very effectively for soft skills. But VR is one, if you like, limiting case of the metaverse. For me, the one of the characteristics of the metaverse is that it's a permanent place which you can go to from this physical universe. You go there and you meet people who come out of it again. To build something that has that much permanence, durability and persistence, that it's always there, you can go to it anytime, wherever you are, that's a lot of tech, a lot of money, and it's a lot of behavioral change amongst the users. And I don't see that happening for two to three years. I can't see the, the benefit being there. And at the same time, it, when we're talking about fads, people have a limited attention span for fads. I think they can only follow one or two fads at a time. At the moment, whether you call it a fad or not, all of the energies on AI. So Metaverse yeah. had a double whammy, had the Texodus and it had AI. It didn't stand a chance. I was very surprised by the Metaverse being as low as it has been because similar to you, I had followed a lot of the discussions. It's definitely tapered off in focus and, and you know, the, the different points that you're making. I was interested in, in looking at across all of these different items, do you find that there's a regional or a country-specific difference? So are there, are there big shifts in trends um, depending on where the people are, where your respondents are from? Absolutely. And sometimes this is identifiable for a particular reason. Sometimes you can't stick a reason on it at all. Or some, and sometimes you can put a reason on it, but you've got to be really careful about oversimplifying things. So... Performance support, for example, always does well in the Netherlands. And we know why that is. It's because Alfred Remitz, who has lived and worked in the, well, he's lived in the Netherlands all his life, but he's worked there in this field, particularly looking at performance support for at least 20 years. I think I've known Alfred at least 25 years. He's been doing it all that time and has been a vocal supporter of it year on year. It's absolutely predictable it will be higher. Okay, fine. But then we look at other things which seem a bit less understandable. Why? in South America is collaborative and social learning always at 13% or more, always at the top of the table, whereas in North America, uh, collaborative and social learning is always, or at least it has been since 2017, is always underneath personalization. Now, you could say, well, if we look at Gerd Hofstede and his views on culture, or Erin Mayer and her views, we would say that North America is a more individualistic society, less collaborative, so it puts personalization above collaborative. In South America, it's different. When I talk to the people that I talk to in both continents, they're happy to go with that as an interpretation. I'm never 
quite happy though with sticking everything on culture and i want to spend a couple of more years looking at this talking to more people to really get a handle on it but there's undoubtedly the case that yes things are different in different regions sometimes we can explain why sometimes we have to be careful with explanations one thing that we have to be sure of that big table at the front which is four thousand people's view from 100 countries is an aggregation and there are consistent predictable differences between countries and regions, which we need to be aware of. That big table doesn't mean it's right. It just means it's what 4,000 people think. It's fascinating when you think about those cultural differences in the, think the trends that people think are going to be more interesting. I also think about it if I'm a, a global entity as an, as an organization looking at LD yeah. as a whole. I mean, it's almost a bit like, where do I even start? But we are, we're coming towards, literally, we're coming towards the last couple of minutes. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to get your kind of final thoughts on anything that perhaps we might not have touched on today that you thought was particularly interesting, Don, that is worth kind of our listeners just watching out for. And of course, what we'll do is we'll put a link to the website in the show notes as well, so that people can download the report when we release the podcast as well. But just from your perspective, any kind of final little nuggets that you want to leave our listeners with i'm a great believer in taking level-headed view of what's going on i don't get too excited about stuff i've been doing the learning technologies conference for too long to do that the machines i started programming in the 1980s are literally in the bletchley museum of national computing right so i've been around for a long time i don't get overly excited but ai is going to make a transformational difference. It's not going to mean that your job goes or that suddenly you're reporting to a robot, but it's going to produce a whole suite of tools that will alter and enhance your productivity if you're ready for it. What are they? I don't know. I don't know because I don't know your job and I don't know what's going to be coming with AI. It's all happening too fast. But I would suggest that the best thing anybody in learning and development can do right now is to go out and follow a lot of people on LinkedIn talking about AI. You won't have any difficulty finding them and you'll work out who the ones to follow are in the end. I would experiment. Just try it out. It is such a different way of doing things that we need to get our hands dirty before we can start forming an idea of how we'll use that ourselves in the future. So that's my advice. Just get into the sandpit, play with AI, get an idea for how it can make your life easier, more productive in the future. Yeah, that's a really, really fantastic point to end us on. Don, this has been absolutely brilliant listening to some of these results. So thank you very, very much for taking a bit of time with us today. Some fascinating things in there. I feel like I'm spending every day talking to different people about AI and the different influences of it and things like that. So it is an exciting time to see how this is being shaped out. But thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. Great to be here, Chris. Thank you. And Chris, Mr. Horton, thank you very much as always. Good to speak as always. Thank you both. You can, of course, listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You could do what I do and download it and listen whilst you're going running. Although, obviously, I don't download and listen to myself going running because that's a bit odd. But uh, yeah, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, <laughs> SoundCloud, you can uh, access it via our website as well. We'll put the link. Actually, Don, do you want to just tell people where they can find the copy of the survey uh, just in spoken word and then we'll put it in the uh, show notes as well? best place to go is my website which is donaldhtaylor.co.uk lovely thank you very much for joining us on thanks chris and thank you listener for joining us once again and we hope to see you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast bye-bye